we say those words, you're, you're unshakable, you're unstoppable. You are. That should lead our, our worship. So often, though, when we, when we worship, when we sing God's praises, we, uh, we, we often will, will make it about ourselves. We are. But ultimately, when we worship, it is about Him and recognizing who He is and what He's done through His Son, Jesus. And, and as we approach Nehemiah, as we've done the last few weeks, it's easy to take Nehemiah and, and apply it to ourselves because there is a lot of application in Nehemiah. But part of that application is recognizing what God is doing through this. What he's doing and his goodness and, and his grace. So I want to encourage you, if, if you're reading along through Nehemiah at, at, at home or, or here, that there is ultimately a pointing to God's goodness through Nehemiah. But through that, there's, there's also an application in our own lives. But to be able to take Nehemiah and, and read it and see God's goodness, and, and then as you do that, to not just read it, but to praise God for his goodness. I want to read to you from Nehemiah 3, this is verse 1 to, to 15, and, and you might be considering, actually, I, I might even cut this a little bit, we'll see. Um, but you might think this is probably the most boring passage of all of Scripture. And I hope to change your mind about that today. Um, Nehemiah 3, verse 1. Then Elishib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set the doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him were the men of Jericho. They uh, of Jericho were they built next to them, and next to them Zakur the son of Imri he built, and the sons of Hesana built the fish gate and laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. Next to them Meramoth the son of Uriah and the son of Hechos repaired the wall, and next to them Meshulam the son of Berechiah. And the son of Meshezebel repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joida, the son of Pesesh, and Meshulam, the son of Besoide, they repaired the gate of Yeshana. And laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah and Gibbon, the, the Gibbonite and Jadon, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seed of the governor of the providence beyond the river. Next to them Uziel, the son of Hariah, gold, the goldsmith repaired. Next to him Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, the ruler of the district of Jerusalem, he repaired. Next to them, Jediah, and the son of Haram, uh, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. Malchiah, the son of Haram, and Hez, uh, Hashab, the son of Path of Moab repaired another section of the tower of the ovens. 
Next to him, Shalom, the son of Helosheth, the ruler of the district of Jerusalem, repaired, and he and he and his daughters. Hanum, the inhabitants of Zanoah, repaired the valley gate, and they built it and set its doors, its bolts, its bars, and repaired a thousand cubics of wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechem, the ruler of the district of Beth Hacharim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kohose, the ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors and its bolts. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word reveals your goodness. As the psalm we read before, it is sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. Father, remind us of that, even in these parts that we think are somewhat boring, that you are revealing your goodness. You are revealing your good news through your son, Jesus. Father, let the words that I speak be tested by your word and moved by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So picking off where we left off last time, Nehemiah, he sees the brokenness of Jerusalem. And and he's admitted where that came from. He's admitting it, it was because of their own sin. So he saw that, and he, by the grace of God, by the leading of God, didn't just sit there and say, oh, this is terrible didn't just sit there and complain about all the people who broke the walls. He said, let us rise up and build. But what I want to focus on today, let us rise up and build. He didn't say, let me rise up and build. He said, let us rise up and build. And you see what happened here. This is, again, a text that most people would probably skip over in their reading because it seems very boring. But what it reveals is this massive list of people who all rose up and built. They all saw the brokenness. They all saw the problem. And they all rose up and built. It was not just one man. And notice there is no mention of Nehemiah having to convince anyone Or him having to give inspiring speeches to get them to be willing to help. No. We read in in the last chapter, chapter 2, at the end that it said God would make them prosper. It didn't say Nehemiah is going to make them prosper. It didn't say Nehemiah by his his, um, charisma or or his ability to convince people was going to make them prosper. It said God was going to make them prosper. And now we see... The result of that. We see all of these people coming together to raise up and to build. We notice it says, let us raise up. He did it. God did this through community. He did it by gifting each one for the task that was at hand. And they responded in faith and they rose up and they rebuilt Notice we start with a priest. They are the first ones mentioned. They start to set the course for everyone else. And not only do they repair the sheep gate, 
not only do they, they repair it, but they consecrate it. They recognize that they are not just doing this for themselves. They're not just doing this because Nehemiah said that we should do this. They're doing this for the Lord. They consecrated it for the Lord. There's more to this. The sheep gate of all the gates. Why is that the gate that gets consecrated for the Lord? This is the gate that the shepherds used to bring their sheep in, both into market and, and both for, and, and also for sacrifice. It's noisy. It's probably smelly when it's in use. Why was this gate the first to be finished and consecrated? This gate is massively significant. Of course, it, it, it's the gate that, that allowed people to make the sacrifices that they needed. It allowed them to do commerce. But at the time, there were, there were two gates on the eastern side. Did I do that right? Which way is east? <laughs> um, on the eastern side of Jerusalem, there's the golden gate, which led straight into the temple grounds, and then the sheep gate, which came behind the temple. Now, many historians will say Jesus entered through when, when he came in to Jerusalem through the golden gate. Um, but we don't know that for sure. But what I find interesting is in in history, that eastern side of Jerusalem had, had actually three gates. All we know is Jesus entered in through the eastern side. And we had the golden gate and the sheep's gate originally. And then much later, when, when, the, when the Muslims were, were in charge of Jerusalem, they, they expanded it and they added something called the lion's gate. If you know anything about Jesus... Um, this is very interesting because the sheep's gate was eventually closed off and covered by the expansion and the lion's gate was put into place. But we have the lion's gate, the golden gate, and the sheep gate all on the eastern side. And if you know anything about, about Revelation and the description of, of Jesus, the, the lion and the lamb, this is significant. This is one of those places and I know we want to seek application in everything that we read. We want to seek, how does this apply to my life? But this is one of those places that we're reading something that, that seems so menial, and yet it's pointing to Christ. This sheepskate. Where, where the sheep would come in, but they would never leave. That's the first one to be consecrated. We're pointing forward to God's goodness. His good news. And there's more pointing forward. Look at the ways these, these guys were, were working together. Boy, does this echo 1 Corinthians 12. All those times I've spoken about it, here is the application. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says that our, our gifts should be used for the building up of the body. Actually, I believe that's wrong. 14, 12. Gifts should be used for the building up of the body in order to make Christ known. This lion and the lamb. The challenge and call here is that we are using those gifts for the upbuilding of the body. The body of Christ. Here they're, they're, they're rebuilding this temple. They've seen the brokenness. But each one is, is being called to use their gifts to build that back up. And that's into the second part of this. These gifts, they were totally given by God's grace. 
None of them can say, hey, you know what, I, I am a very good construction worker. Therefore, I've been put on this part of the wall. You notice who is actually rebuilding this. Nehemiah didn't go out and find all the best construction workers. He didn't go out and find all the best stonemasons, no. First, we start with the priests. And the priests are building the sheep gate. These men are priests, not builders. And, and then you got the men of Jericho helping to build a wall for the glory of God. Let me say that again. you got the men of Jericho helping to build a wall for the glory of God. How ironic is that, if you know the story of Jericho? you got a perfumer repairing the, 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 the broad wall. you got a goldsmith repairing one of the walls. Numerous governors and leaders getting in there, working with their hands to build it doesn't say that any of these men were builders. I, I will talk about one group that didn't want to build. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But nobody was able to say, hey, you know what? Look, God, I know you're calling me to help, but I'm, I'm just not a builder. It's just not who I am. The perfumer couldn't say, sorry, guys, I, I'm just a perfumer. I don't know anything about building a wall. Instead, they rose up from where they were They didn't sit still. Their movements were not limited by their limitations. Their movements were not limited by the limitations they put on themselves. Their movements were not limited by the limitations that they put on themselves by their own identities. They were moved by God. They weren't moved because of who they said they were. They weren't moved because their experience. They weren't moved because of anything of them. They were moved because of God. Remember, it says that God will make them prosper. They went, no matter who they were, they went no matter what their experiences were. They went no matter what their education was. They went no matter what their knowledge was. They went where God called them. Ephesians 4, 7 says that our spiritual gifts are given by God's grace. They aren't given by how much we study or how much we identify or, or, or our career choices or the way we've been raised. They're given by God's grace. Here's a few examples. Peter in Acts 2, right? A fisherman never had preached before. God used him to preach that day. That wasn't his experience, that wasn't his education, that wasn't his knowledge. And in fact, that same day, the, the, the rest of the disciples, they didn't know different languages. They didn't know how to speak in all of these other languages. They weren't linguists, and yet, God made it possible for them to speak in languages to be understood. Paul a Jewish persecutor of Christians, God used him, despite of the fact that he was a Hebrew among Hebrews, to preach to the Gentiles. I mean, you really think about it, right? Moses, he said to God, look, hey, hey, I'm, I'm just a, a shepherd. How can I go to the king? How can I go to the Pharaoh? Jeremiah, he said, I'm too young. How can I proclaim this message? Abraham, I'm too old. Joshua, I'm too weak. Those were the identities they gave themselves and God did not listen to any of them. (laughs) Why would he do that with us? Because it wasn't about them. God equipped them. 
No matter whether they were too young or, or too old or, or too inexperienced or, or too experienced, God equipped them to do the thing that he had called them to do. A perfumer, a priest, a goldsmith working as builders, God will make it happen. You see, often we say to God, yes, God, I will follow you so long as you don't lead me anywhere I haven't been before, anywhere I don't want to go. But do we have faith to say that if God leads us, we know that he'll gift us. If God leads us, we know that he's going to equip us. Or Matthew 28, that if he leads us, he's not going to leave us alone. He's going to be walking with us. If God leads you, do you have the faith that he will gift you for that leading? What if God changes your plans? Will you follow? What if God changes your identity, everything about you? What if he calls you to change that? Do you have that faith enough to say, God, this is frightening. (laughs) This is scary. But I know you're going to make a way for this to happen. God, you'll make a way. And if not, go to the Word. Go to the Bible. And you'll see that God gifts those He sends. He doesn't necessarily make the the path easy. But He makes the path possible by His grace, for His purposes. So if those doors are closing, know that he's not shutting you out, he's moving you on, transforming you into his image, not pushing you through the door you always wanted, but transforming you into the image of his son. His son, by the way, who went out to preach the kingdom of God. His son who died on the cross for his enemies. That's the guy that he's transforming you into. That's a big transformation. And... And you're going to follow him through all of that. But don't you think if he calls you, he's going to give you the ability to go. And if he's going to send you, then he'll gift you. But then, this is the last part of this. There are some who will not go, as we read about. We read this in verse 5. And, and, and next to them, the Tekoites. They repaired, but their nobles would not stop to serve their Lord. So the nobles of Tekoa, they would not. And actually, the best translation here is that they wouldn't wear the yoke of the Lord. That's probably the best way to to translate that text or bear the burden of the Lord. It wasn't that they didn't want to do the work. That wasn't really the problem. And we can read it that way today that wasn't really the issue but the real problem was they did not want to submit to someone else's authority they didn't want nehemiah coming in telling them that they should do something because these are these are nobles i mean i mean these are the nobles of tekoa why would they let somebody else tell them what they need to do and furthermore they didn't want to submit to god's authority they didn't want god's yoke around them and, and that's that sounds like a terrible thing but if we know who god is that's not a terrible thing to be able to have god's call on our lives to serve him and i could talk about them for a long time 
But they don't really deserve much of a mention, the nobles of Tekoa. So I'm not going to talk about them anymore. But what is amazing is the other men of Tekoa, that despite their leader's unwillingness to help, the rest of the men of Tekoa, they still helped. Let me say that again. Despite the fact that their leaders wouldn't help, the rest of the men of Tekoa, they still helped. They were not building because it was popular. Because clearly in Tekoa, helping in this manner was not popular. And you'll see in the next chapter that it was definitely not popular. We'll talk about that next week. They were building because it was what God had called them to do. They didn't have any call from their leader. They didn't have any appreciation from the people around them. They, they didn't have support from their own nation. But these men of Tekoa, they served even when others around them were not willing to. Their faithfulness was not dependent on other people's unfaithfulness. I mean, what if Moses had been led by what is popular? He would have come down off of that mountain, thrown down those tablets, and started worshiping the calf, right? What if Noah had been led by what is popular? He wouldn't have built that ark. What if Jeremiah was moved by what the cultural leaders of the day said, and he would have ignored God and said, peace, peace, it's all good, along with the rest of them. And there are so many examples in Scripture, but God calls us to do things that aren't often popular, that aren't often supported uh, by the nobles and, and the leaders. Popularity and acceptance should never be the measure of our work for the Lord. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 10, and this is a hard one. He said, if you're, if you're going out, if you're my disciple, you're going to be hated on account of my name. Popularity is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. It is never a marker of the work of God, the work that God has sent you to do. But you know, despite the unpopularity, we go out without a fear. And, and, and you see this in, in just this little sentence, these men of Tekoa, despite the unpopularity, they went out and did this without fear. By the way, this is something that, that maybe isn't very clear in Nehemiah. But this is a really difficult and fearful thing for these guys to be doing. Like this is a city that is unprotected. And, and, and Israel and, and Jerusalem, as it is today, in those days, was, was very much hated by their neighbors. And we'll get into that as we read Nehemiah. And... And so what these guys were doing, they, they were actually risking their lives to do this. This, this. this caused fear because they had no protection. But they had faith that God would protect them, that God would lead them. He's, he doesn't send us out to build and rebuild alone. He, according to Matthew 28, is with us always, even when others are not. Nehemiah is rebuilding and restoring the things that were broken. Nehemiah was rebuilding and restoring the things that were broken, that are broken. Think about those things around you, those things that are broken. Who has God put around you to help you build? To help you in your brokenness. He has. He hasn't called you to do it alone. He's gifted people around you. By his grace. To help you build up. Recognize those people. 
recognize their gifts and celebrate that and allow them to help you build and rebuild. How has he gifted those people? Acknowledging their giftings. How has he gifted you? Acknowledge those giftings. How has he called you to trudge through even when everyone around you is chasing only after itching ears or popularity? How has he called you to do what is right and godly in the midst of that? But moreover, we see the answer. We see the answer in the sheep gate, right? We see the answer in Christ. That He hasn't called us to do this alone, but He's given us a Savior. Because we can't do this alone. He's given us a Savior to rebuild our brokenness. That we would trust in Him and where He leads and where He calls and where He gifts Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, move us. Let us not sit, but let us rise up and rebuild where we need to rebuild. Father, move us. As we call ourselves followers, followers don't sit still, but lead us. Give us your Holy Spirit and a reminder of the movement of Jesus Christ. That he, while we were dead in our sins, immobile in our graves, that he called us to life, movable, transformed. Father, remind us of this good news and call us where you would have us go. Equip us where you would have us equipped. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.